My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As our regular listeners will know very, very well by now, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, as we record this podcast on the 20th of September 2022, we remember and pay tribute to one of our most beloved and incredible leaders in the form of Her Late Majesty the Queen, whose state funeral service yesterday, I'm sure, will have moved everyone. Now, joining me on today's programme is Mark Ashton, a leadership entrepreneur who founded the Resolving Group, a provider of practical coaching, mentoring and consulting support to owners, leaders and management teams of private businesses. And today we're going to be talking about leadership, but also export and what we need to be doing to be helping entrepreneurial businesses succeed in the current climate, now that, of course, we have a new government sitting in Parliament. Um, Mark, a very warm welcome to yourself. And by all means, thank you for joining us on the show. It's a real pleasure having you with us. Thank you, Scott. I'm pleased to be with you. Likewise, Mark, pleased to have you alongside me as well. Um, obviously, there I've only given kind of a rough outline of what it is that uh, you and the Resolving Group does. But just for some of those listeners that might not be familiar with you, um, what is it that you sort of specialise in within your own words, please? Okay, so I have a career of almost 40 years. And uh, fairly early on uh, in that career, I uh, ran a business in America for five years uh, for a, a UK company. Um, and um, uh, that, uh, that really taught me a great deal about leadership. Um, I went on into a career in uh, management consultancy. Uh, I was employed for eight years uh, as a consultant and then went on my own in uh, 2005. And um, the uh, recurring theme over those years has been tackling um, the most difficult problems and challenges facing organizations, principally private sector uh, businesses, not entirely. Um, and I, I guess approaching that with a systems thinking perspective. So what are the underlying issues that are going on here, which are not immediately obvious, um, which are in fact key to solving the problems? Um, and so um, in recent years, I've gathered around me um, a, a, a tremendous group of people internationally who have real depth of experience, have run businesses themselves, and have encountered a lot of these issues and have reached um, broadly similar conclusions to myself about what are some of the crucial uh, underlying principles that need to be addressed. So some very interesting stuff going on there, looking at some of the key issues, the key underlying issues as well that might not be immediately obvious. And something that I mentioned at the beginning of this programme that we'd be talking an awful lot about today that businesses maybe are struggling with in the UK at the moment is exporting. Um, there are statistics that suggest since Brexit, we are behind some of our competitors on the continent in terms of the quantity of products and services being exported. If you are somebody who was sort of pro-European Union, what the reason behind that was, I suppose Brexit red tape would be the first answer that they give you. But I'm imagining that given that this is sort of your line of work, your sort of expertise, as it were, you probably unearth that there are maybe one or two other problems that perhaps haven't sort of come onto the radar properly yet. Uh, yes, and um, um, I'm... Uh, uh, I've just started writing a book on the theme of exporting. Um, we are launching an export accelerator 
at Global Entrepreneurship Week in November um, with the Global Entrepreneurship Network at UK. Um, I think the critical issues are not, if you like, the technical issues. They're not to do with the red tape and the bureaucracy. And, and by the way, I'm not expressing any political opinions here. Um, I'm fascinated by, um, and we talk about underlying issues, um, human attitudes, behaviors. Uh, and uh, um, one thing that's absolutely key is uh, that businesses in this country um, often uh, regard exporting with a degree of fear or suspicion. It's the unknown. Um, and it seems so much easier to do business uh, perhaps at home. We have a large domestic market. Um, and so I just don't think that many of them have been, particularly smaller businesses, small to medium-sized businesses, have been accustomed to considering export seriously and to understanding not only its business benefits, but its incredible benefits in terms of, uh, if you like, self-development, development of the team, um, retention of um, excellent staff. Um, these are all uh, these are all very important issues, and I think export can address them very well. So. Uh, I think the critical thing is inspiring people that export is uh, um, is rewarding, inspiring, stimulating. You're going to learn a great deal. Uh, you're going to form very important relationships. And that's been my own experience over the last 30 years, certainly. Mm. And is it down to industry circles to try and generate that inspiration for sort of wider sector leaders or do you think that ministers do have to kind of step up and play a role here because if government isn't giving the uh, the correct amount of encouragement and correct support to sort of encourage business leaders to go out there into the world I suppose that the whole global Britain agenda that they're talking about one of the key benefits of Brexit no less that they've uh, that they've been mentioning that's essentially going to fall flat on its face isn't it? Uh, yes, um, I actually think that uh, I think there is a reasonable lead coming from the government in terms of you know the high level message. Um, but I think that like so many things, the the struggle is to translate it into uh, delivery um, on the ground. Um, and uh, uh, so I would like to see more in the way of practical support um, for. Uh, exporting activity on the ground. I'm um, in fairly close conversation at the moment with the Department for International Trade, um, particularly on the professional services side, um, which of course is uh, the area I operate in. Um, and uh, I know that they are beginning to address this challenge and it, it, there's a need for more uh, radical thinking, I suppose, and activity and then reaching out to parts of industry that they may not have reached out to properly before. Um, so I give a specific example in my own context. If you talk about professional services, there's been an awful lot of work done with um, conventional accounting and law firms. Um, but the Department for International Trade would admit itself that they found it very, very difficult to figure out how to connect with um, consulting um, and, and other business services. Uh, and the way they describe that is that, well, there aren't any obvious industry bodies to go to. Um, so um, but there's a, a tremendous amount of 
export is includes um, consulting and business services wrapped around more tangible products, for example. Um, so I think I think government needs to engage more, um, but it needs to do so practically on the ground, and it needs to en engage people from business to work alongside them to make the connections and to and you know to actually make it work on the ground. Yeah, so that should go some way towards, you know, dispelling the sort of fear around the sort of cultural differences, let's say, that industry might have. But I guess if we think about maybe why this action hasn't been taken yet, is there perhaps sort of a lack of leadership on the government's part um, as to why this is this is going on, do you feel? Uh, I honestly think that's hard to say. Um, I think... <laughs> um, I think the message needs to be reinforced. I mean, it needs to be ongoing. Um, I would like to see consistency. Um, I would like to see consistency in terms of um, uh, the way that, that government departments operate, um, the way that they proactively engage. Um, so a lot of this boils down to definition of leadership, right? Mm. Um, Leadership is not simply um, making statements or setting policy. Um, leadership is about rolling your sleeves up to make things happen. Um, and I do detect more of this uh, since Brexit. You know, I've been along to a number of events run by, for example, the Department for International Trade. Um, but I think the key point about this is it's going to take a long time. It requires persistence. Right? It's not sound bites. Um, it's grunt work. It's about identifying potential in people and processes in it and then getting those processes working over a period of time, isn't it? Um, I guess sometimes people can kind of cross the wires of leadership and what's perceived as leadership may actually be sort of more management, I think. Um, that's something that I, that certainly sort of come to... Uh, that's become obvious to me when I've been sort of speaking about leadership to others who maybe come onto this program. Um, what are your sort of thoughts around uh, around that, Mark? Would you agree with that statement? Uh, uh, yes, very much so. Um, uh, indeed, uh, you're, uh, you're 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 pretty much uh, uh, you know preaching from my hymn book there. Um, I uh, I am passionate uh, about um, helping people to understand the the difference between leadership and, let's say, uh, management, uh, getting stuff done. Um, so um, these are two distinct disciplines. Um, there's a tremendous amount of research out there uh, about leadership, and yes, I feel it is incredibly badly understood, and we are very poorly taught um, you know, from school and upwards about what leadership actually is. We use the term loosely and interchangeably to mean lots of different things. Mm. Leadership is what you've just said. Leadership is actually about uh, uh, understanding other people and their potential and developing it. And, you know, you, you gave a, a lovely tribute to the Queen at the start. And I think many, many of us have been significantly moved um, as we have heard stories in the last couple of weeks since she died uh, about the way that the Queen dealt with people, right? Mm. Um, 
she had very little in the way of real power. Um, she had a lot of what is, I think, somewhat unfortunately termed soft power. Um, but she had a complete, total dedication to serving other people and, and to helping them succeed at whatever it was that they were doing um, that, that she felt was worthwhile. Uh, and that is leadership. Uh, it is selfless. Um, and there's a lot of research evidence to back this up to say that it produces much better results. Um, of course, you need the other side of the equation, the management. And, and the way I like to describe this is it's like an iceberg. Um, the management is the easy stuff in the sense that it's the um, the 10% of the iceberg that's visible above the water. Mm. And it's easy to get your head around. And therefore, um, you know, uh, uh, most people spend the vast majority of their time focused on those practical issues, right? The problem is that if you're not dealing with the 90% of the iceberg that's hidden under the water, um, then you are in serious danger of, um, you know, of, of going astray. Um, and of course, the 90% that's under the water is predominantly the people issues. Mm. Now, First of all, I would say this isn't the soft stuff, this is the hard stuff, of course, and that's why a lot of people avoid it. Um, secondly, um, as uh, we're coming to understand more and more uh, through neuroscience about how the brain has evolved and what are the optimum conditions for the brain in which to operate, um, we're beginning to understand that that we've created a modern society which is severely dysfunctional and is therefore having a very adverse effect on people's obviously mental health, but therefore their ability to function properly. Um, and so leadership becomes even more important. If you see, for example, I see leadership and coaching as being largely synonymous. Mm. So I believe that people in senior positions have got to become excellent coaches. Um, and develop a coaching culture throughout their organization. And that's in line with the neuroscience. Um, and um, that would solve an awful lot of problems, both in terms of um, improving organizational performance um, and uh, certainly in terms of improving people's mental health and well-being. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, actually, Mark, when we talk about that 90%, that hidden 90%, I suppose it incorporates well-being, doesn't it? The need to sort of look after that of your colleagues, but also look, um, lead by example and look after your own as a leader, because as we well know, it can be easy to kind of get sucked into that um, sort of all hands on, quite hectic culture when you are the one at the top. But as well as that, I suppose the 90% encompasses strategy, doesn't it? Not necessarily the practical stuff that we talked about, which, which is within the 10%, but the sort of strategy that you have for the development of people. I think that's incredibly important, isn't it? Um, as part of your business strategy, you've, there's got to be some form of development there, development pathway for that team that you built around you. Um, certainly. And... Uh I think another of the great misnomers about leadership is that um, people in leadership positions, so in senior positions, feel um, a pressure to 
have all the answers to provide the direction. Mm. Um, again, when you look at the research into high-performing, long-term high-performing organizations, what you discover is that the leaders of those organizations are um, much more comfortable with the fact that they do not have all of the answers. Why on earth would they? Right? Um, and that actually what they focus on is, yes, the development of people, that's top of the list, and also on asking those people intelligent questions and therefore engaging those people much, much more in solving the problems. Um, now, again, what the neuroscience tells us is this is as animals evolved over millions of years, um, we have overdeveloped threat reaction systems in our brain. Um, our brains are, have become somewhat maladaptive in the current um, you know, dysfunctional environment, and therefore we tend to perceive other people as threats when we should not do. We also tend to perceive them as being lazy and idle and incapable of doing what we could do, and we'd be much better off doing it ourselves, when in fact the reverse is true. So leadership is hard work because it means engaging much more fully with other people to get the best out of them. And, and, and arguably one of the problems that we have is that people um, aren't prepared to do that. People, people higher up the ladder aren't prepared to do that. And they don't see themselves like the queen as being in service to other people and the organization. The, the mm. great thing is that if you do, as you're suggesting, if you address the 90% of the iceberg under the water as let's develop a strategy for the long-term health and, um, and uh, uh, profitability or success of this organization, um, Developing other people is incredibly rewarding. And one of the great things about coaching, for example, that I say is that, that arguably the greater benefit of coaching is to the coach, not the people being coached. Because you learn so much, you develop yourself through doing it. So there are all of these hidden benefits that, that, that people don't see. But of course, also, it means that we need to be, we, we need to be choosing people significant roles who have a broader uh, set of skills which includes this strategy of developing people rather than just those so-called hard skills that are the 10 percent of the iceberg above the water i think it's such an interesting point that we're almost in a way not hardwired to be good leaders because we we kind of get sucked into this idea that not having all of the answers is a bad thing and you know um we we are we need to be infallible as leaders when the opposite of course um, is true and sometimes we we sort of don't focus on the key things that are important we perceive people as threats and we perceive uh, people as incapable and we think that we can do it better and maybe in some ways if we think about um, sort of a young entrepreneur who's maybe just starting a business and that business is getting to the point now where that leader has to delegate responsibility you hear so many stories, don't you, of people in business finding it difficult to kind of let go of the day-to-day -day operation and step back into that more strategic role. And I suppose that that you've just talked about explains exactly why that is actually the case. Yes, indeed. And uh, I've 
worked for and been involved in a series of entrepreneurial organizations and including my own <laughs> and uh, you know it's very it's very easy for the uh, the physician not to want to to, to heal themselves mm. um but but essentially um yes so first of all the skills that may be needed in the early stages of a of a new business aren't necessarily the skills that will be required later and that means either that the person or people leading the business at the very early stages need to develop those skills and must be open to it. Um, or it may mean that they need to step back or step into a different role um, and allow somebody else to come in who has got those skills. And, and, and that is extremely difficult, of course, um, psychologically for people. Um, and uh, uh, another thing that I often like to, to sort of shock people with is that the the research clearly shows that on average women make slightly better leaders than men that's a kind of headline uh, piece um, but when you deconstruct that um, what the underlying truth is is that emotionally intelligent self-aware men and women mm make better leaders than the more traditional um shall we say alpha style uh, men or women um and um that is because of this need to to much more fully engage people um and to see the underlying issues in processes um and, and the bottom line is that all of this requires effort it requires a willingness to be wrong, to be publicly wrong, um, and um, it requires um, an understanding that things are never entirely what they seem, and that actually organizations evolve through trial and error, right? You, learning, mm. by definition, means largely means getting stuff wrong learning from it improving changing right whereas in school we're taught that learning means passing factual exams and getting it 100 percent right um and the interesting thing about this is that what i've experienced throughout my career is that very often the people who learned most quickly to fail at school in other words they weren't the high achievers getting the outstanding grade are the people who go on and create successful businesses fascinating isn't it because i think culturally in this country you are very right in the sense that we are a bit failure averse aren't we we almost see failure as a terminal thing something to be avoided whereas we don't necessarily embrace the mistakes enough and adopt that sort of win or learn mentality do we i think there is a, a little bit of that um, involved in sort of our culture i think as i, as I put it there um Yes, and you, you come back to the export question, right? And why are Absolutely. we not exporting mm. more? And I would argue, because one of the key topics that I've identified is fear, and that fear takes different forms. But certainly uh, a key element of the fear is fear of failure. Um, and uh, it, it is so crucial that we overcome this. Um, 
it, it's almost impossible to do anything. You just have to step back from it and think about it. You know, any almost any endeavor in life um, is full of actually. In reality, we're getting stuff wrong all the time, um, and hopefully, we're learning from it. So, why is it that we should be so afraid? Um, in, for example, the development of business, I I guess for many people it's because they feel there's more at stake. Uh, it's because they feel they might lose their job. Uh, you know, they might be humiliated in front of their peers. Um, but what they don't understand is that is that their peers are just the same. Everybody is hiding, you know, behind a, a psychological suit of armor and pretending that they're much better than they are. This is it's like what's going on in social media, right? It's just a manifestation of this. Everybody presents their best side to the outside world, and not the warts underneath. And yet the paradox is, is another paradox of leadership, is that the leaders who are willing to make themselves vulnerable uh, in the sense of, of, of openly acknowledging the truth, being willing to fail in front of other people, being willing to admit what they don't know, have far, far more trust with other people and are far more admired. Certainly powerful stuff, and it's food for thought for anybody that's actually tuning into this uh, podcast. And um, it's got me thinking as well about sort of one or two things around how we're actually looking to help businesses succeed, not just with sort of export, but also innovations in general, Mark, because um, I've, I've seen a lot of comments um, from business leaders suggesting that a lot of what government does is quite short term, mean little um, sort of in innovative uh, sort of projects. Um, they get short term funding, they get innovations off the ground, perhaps the long term support isn't there. We saw also with the kickstart scheme, a lot of businesses liked that during the uh, the pandemic to get youngsters into work. They called for something more comprehensive. They called for the scheme to be extended and lo and behold, it was wound down. Do you think that perhaps sort of there's a lack of long-term planning because, you know, there is a fear of failure there. So everything seems to be short-termist in the sense that, oh, if it goes wrong, it doesn't necessarily matter. Do you think that sort of infiltrated that? I think you've put your finger on a critical problem. And uh, I think this is true of human beings generally. I think it's very true of governments, just as it's true of, chief executives of businesses because uh, they are uh, under enormous pressure to think short term um, and not under any pressure sometimes to think long term. Um, and uh, it's all about making an impact, proving that you've done something substantial yourself in a relatively limited time frame, uh, not setting up anything that could give benefit to your successors. <laughs> Um, um, you know, you, you you can certainly see that in politics. You can see it in business. Mm. And again, if I go back to some of the some of the key research that's been done in business about the most effective uh, leaders, these are the people who set their successors up for success. Right? These are the mm. people who enable. The pe develop the people within the organization, they leave a more positive legacy than they inherited. And uh, this is one of the reasons, by the way, why I like very well-run family businesses, because there is inherently, there is that long-term focus. You could argue, of course, the ultimate family business is uh, the royal family, the firm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
you look at what's happened there. Um, you know, famously, King Charles now the you know the the the, um, the most prepared <laughs> um, heir to the throne. Um, but there's a lot of truth in this, it, and, and that's why it requires a, it requires a different mentality. It requires a different set of values because you you cannot be successful long term if you are driven only by short term targets and objectives. I think that's very right. So in order to kind of now start looking long term and sort of giving these entrepreneurial businesses that we have the support to not just succeed domestically to go and go, but go out into the world. Um, what is it that we kind of need to be looking at? We need to be looking at a long term strategy. So we do need to see more of that from ministers for sure. But your business, of course, is already involved in kind of planning for the longer term on the ground, isn't it, uh, Mark? You've talked about the accelerator program that you've got launching um, sort of later in the year briefly. And you're also involved in sort of um, some other programs as well, aren't you? Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, I'm talking to the um, uh, the Help to Grow program at the moment um, from uh, the Department of uh, um, Business, Energy, Innovation and Skills. Um, I'm talking to um, this very interesting program, uh, actually, that comes out of uh, MIT in Boston. Uh, which is the it's called the REAP program, the Regional Entrepreneur Acceleration Program, um, and uh, City of Leeds, local to me here in the north of England, has been uh, in one of the cohorts on that program um, three or four years ago, um, starting to talk to MIT about how we uh, provide ongoing longer-term support for the entrepreneurial economies in city regions that have been on that program. Um, what I would say about this, by the way, is, you know, people might be kind of uh, uh, saying, oh, my goodness, you know, we can't possibly provide intensive long-term support to businesses. Well, the answer is you don't need to. Um, it needs to be light touch. Um, you know, these intensive short-term focused programs are all well and good. Um, but the real, of course, the proof of the pudding is in those businesses adapting new habits and behaviors over time. And that's where I think the what we call the resolving model um, that, we, that we operate, which I hope will become much more prevalent, uh, not just from us, but from other people, is, is so important where you're providing fractional management support, interim support where there isn't somebody in the business already to do it coaching and development of people within the business who have the potential uh, to do it for example in export to become to become export managers um it's this sort of light touch flexible support that's required um not always intensive hands-on support and you know, i come out of the consulting industry and the traditional consulting industry, uh, I think, has an inherent conflict of interest because it's driven by monthly invoicing targets. Um, you know, you have a, a sort of pyramid of people, um, uh, including the you know the bright young things coming in at the bottom who need to be kept occupied, and therefore there's pressure to sell work to businesses that, that maybe those businesses don't need. Um, whereas the, the, the model I'm working now, uh, the resolving model, is it, it's like non-executive directorship, but it's it's less formal. It's not 
it's not the governance side of non-exec. It's much more hands-on. What support do you need? What guidance do you need? What advice do you need? What have you not thought of? Um, it's much more of a coaching model. It's about establishing the needs of the business, isn't it? And then using it to sort of drive that business forward, I guess. I mean, like I say, it, it is more involved in coaching and the development side. And part of that is identifying the areas of development where development and help and assistance is most needed. It's not sort of overly intensive across the board, I suppose. Uh, correct. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the fractional management model, for example, says um, you need access to a strategic finance director. You couldn't possibly afford to justify going out and hiring one. Um, but you can have one, you know, a day a month or, 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 or a day a week or, or to turn up to board meetings when required, right? With those those critical strategic decisions are being made, um, and the coaching, the ongoing coaching, is about uh, developing people's full potential, overcoming their fear of failure, um, helping them to better align um, what they're doing in the business with who they are as people, recognizing the gaps, facing up to them, um, helping them to appoint um, people that are needed to fill the most important gaps. And, and all of that comes on obviously only with people who've got deep experience and, and frankly have got the scars on their backs. Exactly right. I think experience certainly is a critical element and we can only, of course, accumulate that experience by going out and obviously making mistakes ourselves. I mean, we, we um, experience, I mean, to gain that, we've got to go out and we've got to get our hands dirty and pick up the scars, as you say there. I mean, it's imperative. Now, um, just thinking about um, the Resolve model for anybody tuning into this podcast that might be interested in finding a little bit more about it, um, resolvegetsresults.com is your website, isn't it, Mark? And I think would be a good port of call for anybody looking to uh, to look into that a little bit more. Uh, indeed, yes. Um, yes. Um, we're about to bring out a new website and we will be ch- we're changing, we've changed our name recently to the Resolving Group. Um, and that will be coming out in due course very shortly, but the Resolve Gets Results uh, website will still work and it will redirect you to the, uh, to the new website. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I do uh, a lot of posting on LinkedIn um, and you'll find some videos there as well. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, um, uh, and uh, in due course, in uh, in March of next year, there will be uh, a book on uh, on exporting as well. Fantastic! Certainly, we'll be uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, to that, Mark. And wish you all the best of luck with the uh, with the publication side of things. And just talking sort of about the uh, the coaching side um, as well. We've talked an awful lot about um, the sort of the resolve model, but um, you're also quite actively involved in some activity in um, Eastern Europe with Estonian organisations, aren't you? On the coaching side, so there's a lot of work being done there as well. Um, Estonia is a fascinating place. Um, it, it has a very legitimate claim to be the Silicon Valley of Europe. Uh, it's a, an absolute hotbed of digital uh, tech businesses. Um, it has the greatest number of startups per head of population and the greatest number of unicorns, $1 billion value businesses per head of population in Europe. Um, very small country, of course, only 1.3 million, but 
punching way above its weight. Um, I've been lucky enough to be involved in uh, two coaching programs uh, in Estonia for um, founders and entrepreneurs. Um, uh, I started almost exactly four years ago. Um, and that's been a tremendous learning experience for me um, and uh, uh, extremely rewarding. Um, and um, uh, a significant portion of the export activity I'm doing at the moment is assisting businesses from that part of the world to come into the UK, uh, as well as helping UK businesses to export. Um, so um, we're doing a lot of work at the moment on building the connection between Estonia and, uh, and the UK. I'm working closely with the Estonian embassy on that. Um, obviously, London is a big destination for them. Um, but we're also, again, working on um, particularly the city of Leeds, which has a very vibrant mm. uh, entrepreneurial economy, digital economy, Leeds Digital Festival, which starts today. I'm, I'm heading into Leeds this afternoon, so it Fantastic. Is, the, is the largest digital festival in the UK. Um, and uh, next week, the Estonian Embassy is bringing a delegation of about a dozen health tech businesses over to Leeds um, for the um, for some events connected with the festival. That should be absolutely fantastic. And I suppose as well, um, a real beneficial um, sort of effect of cultivating the two-way relationship, let's say, between um, Estonia and the UK is if you can prove the model going one way that Estonia can be successful exporting into the UK, I suppose what you do is you prove that the other way is possible, isn't it? That those UK businesses, perhaps fearful of sort of stepping up uh, to the plate, maybe now understand that there is benefit to this and maybe, you know, cast off the fear, go out and succeed. Uh, indeed. And uh, Estonia, of course, is in the European Union and it's quite famously the, the most e-enabled country in the European Union, and therefore it's relatively speaking quite easy to set up uh, uh, business over there, um, indeed to serve other parts of the European Union. Um, so that's worth thinking about, and I'm aware of uh, one or two UK businesses that have already done that, that have gone and set up in Estonia and uh, fully immersed in the, um, the, the incredible uh, uh, startup culture that exists over there. It's absolutely fantastic and certainly a relationship I think to keep an eye on over the uh, the coming months and indeed years and just addressing that Mark before we uh, we wrap up on the uh, the program today with all of the programs that you are involved in and all of your planning moving forward I was hoping to kind of get a little bit of an idea as to what sort of key milestones you're eyeing up over this sort of next 12 months as we venture into 2023 and in terms of the overall sort of export picture for the UK where ideally by say the end of next year would you like sort of our businesses to be in terms of their place in the world let's say well i would like to see some um tangible evidence uh over the next 12 months that exporting has increased uh into uh into key markets um obviously there are there are there are some places that are uh, high up the list uh north america clearly um i think uh uh, other Commonwealth countries is an obvious uh, an obvious uh, opportunity. Um, I think places like Mexico, for example, um, high on the list 
because of the close connections with North America. So I think I think the most important thing is that we begin to see some tangible results in terms of increasing exporting. Um, I I hope to play a small part in that in the areas that I'm directly involved in with you know with my my team, my colleagues, um, and uh, uh, I would like to see um, I would like to see the Department for International Trade um, announcing. Uh, ongoing support uh, along the lines that we've been talking about, you know, the, the, the relatively light touch support um, provided through uh, experts such as ourselves. Um, so I think that's where that's where the uh, the government can make a significant impact as well. Yeah, certainly food for thought for any ministers tuning into this particular programme. And if you are somebody as well who maybe sort of um, you've the issues that we have talked about do particularly resonate with you you can certainly uh, leave a comment with us regarding this podcast and the topics we've discussed on leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us or if you want to come and share your own story with us you too can apply to beyond the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply and that is not of course restricted to export any topical matter or issue affecting your business please do feel free to approach us and come and share your story um for now Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure welcoming you onto the show and an immense uh, privilege for, for me having you come on to, uh, to discuss all of these topics and you provided some incredible expertise, some real eye-opening stuff there. And uh, by all means, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on. And it would be a pleasure for me as well to welcome you back onto the show maybe in a year's time or so just to see how it's all coming together for you and reassess exactly where we are in terms of the export picture because it's in a constant state of flux and I think we can both agree that we do need to see uh, some real progress there. Thank you, Scott. Yes, I'd be very happy to do that. That's certainly so, and um, I do hope that everybody tuning in as well has thoroughly enjoyed the interview today with Mark Ashton from the Resolving Group, and of course wish him the best of luck with the programmes that he's got coming up um, over the course of the year, the next year and beyond. And to all tuning into the programme today, I've been your host, Scott Chaloner, on this episode of the Leaders' Council podcast, where we've been talking all things export and leadership. Please do take care all, and goodbye.